1969. Now they can electrocute me <laughs> if I go over too much. 1969. It was a very troubled time of my life. I didn't know the Lord. My family moved to Florida and left me here in Pennsylvania. I was going to a high school in a township that I didn't live in. I had two great questions on my mind at the time, things that I could not put down, I was wrestling with. One, who is God? And two, what is he one of me? I was a very serious young man. I was just senior in high school. And I believed that there was a God. I think I always believed that there was a God. But who was he? It's interesting when you read the book of Acts and you read the account of Paul's conversion. He's on the road to Damascus and the bright light comes and knocks him off to the ground. And, and what does he say? First question he asks is, Who art thou, Lord? Same question I asked. And what was his second question that came out of his mouth? What would thou have me to do? What do you want of me? I don't know what's happened in your lives, whether you've gone through a similar series of questions in your life. If you have, then you know who God is. And then the second question is, what does he want of you? My wife makes tests for people. She makes tests for people to go to to go to grad school or to go to college or to go and become teachers. What if there was a one question? That's all they were going to ask you. And if you answer this question right, then the rest of your life will be well ordered and you'll have all that you need and, and your life will be a success and and you will have joy real joy and all you have to do is answer the one question right well boy where is it give me that question let me study it I want to know what the answer is turn with me to Micah chapter 6 We've been going through the book of Micah, and in the book of Micah, this is right before the Babylonians would invade and, and they would take away the children of Israel and they would kill 
two-thirds of them and one-third would be taken away captive and many of them would die in foreign lands and never come back home. And the people had walked away from God. They had ignored the laws and the prophets that God had sent to them. They had despised God. They were confident in their own lives. I don't need God. I'm just fine and dandy without Him. I have all that I want. I have wealth. I can steal from my brothers and sisters. I can take advantage of others in my system, the courts, and all the things that were going on. And God is very angry at them, but He still loves them. Micah chapter 6, verse 1. Hear ye now what the Lord saith. Now, again, in your Bibles, as I've, I've said all along when I speak to you, notice that the Lord here is all caps. It's Yahovah. It is the self-existent one who reveals himself to those that are his. These are people that God, through revelation, is going to say answer that first question. Who is God? These are the ones that were the saints of the Old Testament. These are the ones that God would call out from among men. These are the saints that are in the New Testament. These are the saints of mankind from Adam on. The one that God reveals himself to and draws them to himself. The name Jesus is, a, is an extension of this. Yahshua. It is Yahovah Shua. It has the extra word of who saves his people from their sins. That's what his name means. His name means the self-existent one who always was, who reveals himself to those that are his and saves them from their sins. That is what the name Jesus means in the Hebrew. Hear ye now what the Lord saith. Arise and contend before the mountains and let the hills hear thy voice. Hear ye, O mountains, the Lord's controversy and ye strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord hath a controversy with His people, and He will plead with Israel. The fact that that the Lord is going to plead with Israel is, is very significant. You go to the book of Revelation, chapter 20, where He talks about the great white throne judgment. He talks, does he plead with the people? No. There is no pleading with the people. They are to be condemned. He says, all of your works shall be held accountable and you will be condemned because of your works. Because you were sinners. Because you sinned against me. Because you rejected my demands of you. But here... God is pleading in this chapter. He is pleading with His people. Remember what Jesus said. We, we heard it this morning in the breaking of bread. From the cross, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He is pleading with the Father for His people. 
O my people, what have I done unto thee? And wherein have I wearied thee? Testify against me. For I brought thee up out of the land of Egypt, and I redeemed thee out of the house of servants, and I sent before thee Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, consulted and what Balaam, son of Beer, answered him from Shittim all the way unto Gilgal, that ye may know the righteousness of the Lord. You go back in the, you look back in Numbers, you'll find out that what had happened was this king of Moab, Balak, he, he wants to curse the children of Israel as they're coming out of the wilderness, and so he calls for this prophet to come. And he says, See all these people, I'll give you a whole room filled with gold and silver. Only curse these people. And he says, I can only do what God lets me do. I can only speak the words that he puts in my mouth. You go back to Numbers and you read that account. And after giving the seven sacrifices, building seven altars, seven sacrifices on them, he prays to God and God answers them. And he says, I see God blessing this people. And he says to King Balak, May I die the death of the righteous with this people. May I die the death of the righteous with this people. They were not righteous. They were sinners. But but God showed to Balaam what he was going to do. That he was going to make them righteous. Why? What did, what did they do that deserved such a thing? Nothing. What gives you the right to know God? Nothing. What gives you the right to be righteous and stand with God? Nothing. We heard it this morning. There's two things that God gives. He gives grace and mercy. Grace is a free gift from God. He gives you His righteousness. And mercy, He doesn't give you what you deserve. Every human being is a sinner. Every, says this in the book of Romans, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous. No, not one. So, as we stand here and we we say, we read through this passage and God is talking to those that He is going to make righteous, those that He is going to pull out of the world, literally out of the fires of hell. He is going to pull unto Himself and make righteous. And Micah is going to ask the question, what can we do? Verse 6, Wherewith shall I come before the Lord? And bow myself before the high God. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings or with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with 
thousands of rams or ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Is the fruit of my body worthy to redeem the sin of my soul? No. Though you slay your children on an altar, they cannot take away your sins, the sins of your souls. This is what Micah is asking. What do I have to do? He has made clear in these verses 6 and 7 that all that I do, whether I make an altar and I bring an, an ox and I slay it on there and I burn it to ashes and I take my, my own children and slay them on the altar and burn them to ashes, this will not suffice. God will not accept it. And so he asked the question, what do I have to do? And this is what I want you to think this morning. This is what we're going to do. We are going to go over God's answer. Because this is the one question. You answer this question when you stand before God, and we will stand before God. Whether you know Him or not, you will stand before Him. We're going to go over in the next few minutes what God requires of a man. It's amazing that he puts it all in one verse. In one short verse, verse 8 of chapter 6 of Micah, is encapsulated everything that you need to know to stand before God and not be condemned to a lake of fire. Everything is in this verse. So I... I challenge you to think about this verse and I challenge you to pursue it. Because the day is coming when you and I will stand before God. And we will have to give an account. Just as it says in Revelation chapter 20, the works of every man standing before God will be judged. He has showed thee, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of thee? But to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. Let's see if we can break this down a little bit. First, there are three things. To do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Well, the first one, to do justly. Notice all three of them. All three of them. It is not just to know something, but there is an action required on your part. There is a, an, an active part in every one of these three. The first one is to do justly. And what does it mean to do justly? Well, it's maybe a little bit stilted in the way it's translated in our King James. But if I were to say it in plain old English that you would all understand this morning, I would say, you must follow the laws that God has given you that you know about. 
what, what, what laws are you talking about? Well, we have the Ten Commandments, right? Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt love the Lord God, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not covet. These are the, the, we know the Ten Commandments, we can read it, there are other laws that are included in God's Word, but let's use this as a starter block. And I look at all these and I say, okay, these are the ones that God says. He says, this is what He requires of me, to do the laws of God that I know of. In John's Gospel, chapter 14, John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus says this to his disciples right before he's to be crucified. If you love me, this was Jesus speaking. To those that know him? Jesus speaking to those that have been chosen by God before the foundations of the world to be called out of the world? These are the disciples. These are the ones that Jesus has, through God giving them to him, he has chosen them out at this particular time. And he says to them, If you love me, keep my commandments. Not commandment. Commandments. Some people say, well, this is the love command. No. If you love me, keep my commandments, plural. What are the commandments that he's speaking about? Remember, they come to him in another place and they say to him, Jesus, what is, what is the great commandment? Of all the Ten Commandments, what is the great commandment? They come to him. They're trying to trap him. And what does Jesus say? Remember what he says. He says, the first commandment is thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy mind and all thy body and all thy heart. This is the great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. He says all the rest of the commandments are hung on these two. You, you obey these two, you have obeyed all of the commandments of God. That's what Jesus says when he comes here and expounds on this first part of verse 8 in Micah chapter 6. But to do justly. He wants you in your life today, believer, if you are a believer, then you are one that He is speaking to. You are one that God has revealed Himself to. You are one that God has called out from among men and made righteous by His righteousness, the mercy of God, the gift of God. He's saying, if you love me, follow my commandments and do them. Not just read about them, do them. Remember what it says in James. It says, if we say that we have faith but we do nothing, then our faith is dead. Well, this is saying, do the commandments of God. Love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart and all of thy mind and all of thy body and spirit. 
And the second is like unto it, and love thy neighbor as thyself. Take care of your neighbor. Take care. Go out of your way to make sure that they have what they need, that they can understand the things. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. The second one that he tells us to do, the second part of this, this is what God requires of us. And to love mercy. It's interesting. You know, it could say, and and be merciful, but it doesn't. God is very exact in the way that the words are written down because the Holy Spirit was guiding Micah to say this, and he puts this little thing before the word mercy. He says, and love mercy. Why does he say that? Well, he tells me that I should obey the laws of God and I should do them to the best of my ability all the days of my life, which I failed many times, many, many, many times. I am not perfect. I can tell you that. I know I am not perfect. I have violated that. But this is what he wants. This is what he expects of me. The second one isn't just to show mercy to people that don't do that. Some of you out here, you may not do justly in your life. You may even do things that hurt your brothers or your sisters in the Lord. Some of our selfish fleshly desires have caused great division among the believers and great division among the families of those that are believers and great division among even husbands and wives because of the the vitriol of our our speech and and the human emotion of anger and lust and greed and sadness We have things that cause us to not do justly. And when we don't do justly to another, God says, when they treat you bad, I don't want you just to show them mercy. I want you to love to give mercy out. This is the attitude that Jesus had. This is not the attitude of a human being. This is an attitude that comes from God. And so we need to turn to Him and say, God, take my heart. Take my life. Take my thoughts. Take control of them. Make me love those that do injustices to me. Love your enemies, Jesus said. Do good to them that abuse you and that that do harm to you and lie about you and cheat against you. Love. Mercy. This is a hard one too. This is not easy for any of us. But this is what God says that He this this is the this is the one little passage that is so succinct and so perfect in the Old Testament that it is expounded by Jesus in the New Testament. And he says that we are to love mercy. So you think about your own life. Think of the opportunities 
that God gives you to learn to show the love of the mercy that he puts in your heart. So when someone does something to you and you feel offended, and I'm not talking to that brother or that sister anymore, I'm writing them off. I don't care if they're my believers. They they, they never apologized. They never did. They never made it right. They, they, They kept it all the way to the grave. Do you harbor anger or worse against them? Do you love the opportunity that God has given you to be merciful? Matthew chapter 18. This is what Jesus says about this very issue of loving mercy. Matthew chapter 18 verse 21 it says then came Peter to him that is to Jesus and said Lord how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times Jesus said unto him I say unto you until seven, not until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Four hundred and ninety. Now, when Jesus says seventy times seven, I don't think that we should have little black books and say, okay, I forgave him. He's up to three hundred and fifty. I only got a hundred and forty to go, and then I can not forgive him anymore. No. What? What is said back in Micah is that we are to love mercy. And if a brother continually hurts us, not just seven times, not just seven, four times seventy, four hundred and ninety times, but until the day that God corrects it. And He will. He will correct it either through changing that brother or sister or changing the circumstances or in the day when we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and He says to you, you obeyed me because you loved me. Because you loved me, you forgave that person all those times. And every time you did, In obeying me, you brought joy to the heart of the one that loved you. Even though we have sinned against God, how many times have we sinned against God? Seven times in our lives? Anybody want to raise your hand? Anybody here want to raise your hand and say, well, I haven't hit the 490 times that I sinned against God yet? If you are not a liar, which is one of the things that we are not to do, then you know that we have sinned against God so many times that they are not even able to count them. And still, Christ in dying says, Father, forgive them. 
they know not what they do. This is the attitude that he wants you to have as a believer, as one of the chosen, as one of those that knows the Lord, as one of those that knows Yahshua, Jesus, the God who saved you from your sins. The last one, and to walk humbly with thy God. This is really interesting because in the first place it says to walk humbly with thy God, which means that you know God. So let's go back and let's see examples of what it means to walk humbly with God. So let's go back to the first one. First one back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. You all can imagine where this is back in Genesis chapter 3. In the beginning, God made Adam and Eve, and he put them in the garden. And we know from this passage that God would come from time to time into the garden, and he would walk with them. And they walked humbly with their God. And they had fellowship with God, and they they could hear his voice, and they felt his touch, and they knew what pleased him and they were one with him until the day that they sinned. And here in verse 8 of chapter 3 we have and they heard the voice of the Lord God again Lord it's all caps it's Jehovah they heard the voice of the Lord Jehovah God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Because sin had entered in. Because there was a separation between this walking humbly with their God and they didn't want Him to see what had happened in their lives. That they had chosen to reject Him. To chosen to do what they wanted to do rather than what God wanted to do. And so they sinned against God. Just as you and I have done and continue to do in our lives. Let's go a little further. Let's go into chapter 5, verse 22. There was another man in the Old Testament. You know this one also from the book of Hebrews. Chapter 5, verse 22. And it says, And Enoch walked with God. After that he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters and all the days of Enoch were 360 and 5 years and Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him Enoch was so humbly walking with God he spoke with him for all those years hundreds of years he walked with God every day in his life do we do that when you get up in the morning when you get up in the morning and you go out to you know, put the coffee on, or you go out there to, you know, to get the cereal bowls out for the kids. When you're by yourself, is God right there beside you? Are you talking to Him? Are you saying, God, help me this day. Help me to do what is right. I don't know what's coming. You do. And so I want you to give me wisdom 
in the situations that I will face. I want you to give me patience. I want you to let me feel your presence. I want to walk hand in hand with you today so you can teach me of yourself. You do that every morning and I can I can guarantee that your days will go in such a way that you never could imagine the closeness of God, the way he, he puts his arms around you as you go through your day and will help you in situations you may not even know about those situations or even if the situations happen to you, you may not know how much he has helped you until later in your life. But your life will be so much richer. There was another one. This one is very important. Turn with me over to Genesis chapter 17. And when Abraham was ninety and nine years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. Oh, this is a new wrinkle for us, isn't it? God comes to Abraham when he's 99 years old and he says, walk before me. This is walking humbly with God. But he says something else. He says, I want you to be perfect. How can a man be perfect? For we have all sinned, including Abraham. He has already sinned in his life. We can read about it in the earlier chapters. Abraham has sinned. How can Abraham be perfect? God tells Abraham to walk before me and do justly. The Ten Commandments haven't been given yet, but God tells Abraham, walk before me, and from the the laws that I have given you, the, the commandments that I have given you, the things that I have told you to do, I want you to do them. Do justly. Let's go over a little bit, a little bit later, and here we go into. Excuse me, I get back to. <coughs> Let's go to Genesis chapter eighteen, verse nineteen. What has happened here is Abraham had a nephew that lived with him, Lot. And they both became very successful. And there arose a strife between the workers that worked for Abraham and the workers that worked for Lot. And there was hard feelings between two believers. 
and there were words exchanged. God had already told Abraham that the whole land was his, that he was going to give it all to him and to his seed. And yet, Abraham goes to Lot and says to Lot, Lot, let there not be strife between you and me, for we are brothers in the Lord. If you want to go to the left, you go to the left, I'll go to the right. You, you want to go to the right, I'll go to the left. You pick first. This was not required by Abraham. God didn't say to Abraham, give it all away to Lot. He didn't say that. He said, I'm going to give it to you. And yet, Abraham, in loving mercy, says to Lot, you pick. You take the first place. You take the highest calling. And I'll be your servant. You go to the left, I'll go to the right. And so Lot looked with his eyes and saw that all the valley was well watered and good for his his sheep and his cattle. And he says, I'll take the valley. And so, Abraham, you stay up here in the rocks, in the hills. <coughs> and that's what happened. And after that it happened... God comes to Abraham, and this is what he says. Begin reading in chapter 18, verse 17. God has come to Abraham, and it says, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I will do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice, to do justly and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. Because he knows that Abraham will do justly in his life. Was he perfect? No. But Abraham would strive to please the Lord all the days of his life. And he is now showing mercy because he loves to show mercy to his brother, though his brother was wrong. Turn over to Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13. Verse 7. And there was strife between the herdmen of Adam, Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle, and the Canaanite and the Perzite dwelt then in the land. And Abraham said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. And if thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. And if thou depart to the right, then I will go to the left. And after Lot leaves, after Lot chooses, and Abraham is left by himself, 
We come down to verse 17 and 18 of the same chapter, 13. God speaking to Abraham says this, Arise and walk through the land and the length of it and the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Then Abraham removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. We have this verse 18 that we read in our English, and it says he goes to the plain of Mamre, and there he goes to the place called Hebron, and he builds an altar. Hebron in the Hebrew, Hebron means a place of communion. It's what we have in the New Testament when we come early Sunday morning and we break bread. We have communion with God. Walk humbly with your God. It's it's not only just knowing Him and obeying the Word that He has given us and the laws that He has given us to the best of our ability, but even though we cannot fulfill it, we know from the earlier passages in Genesis when we have this verse that says, And Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Just like when we believe that this is what God wants us to do, to live our lives here in this world to the best of our ability, though we will fail, and to love those, to love mercy, and to make all the days of our life where we get up in the morning and throughout the day, on into the night, it is our desire to walk humbly with God. That's what Abraham is doing here in verse 18. He has built an altar and the name of the place is communion. It's where God and Abraham came together and walked and shared their thoughts one with another. This is what God wants us to do in our lives. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. And what hath he showed you, O man, that you are to do justly and to love mercy? and to walk humbly with your God. Thank you, Father, for sharing with us what is important to you and what is necessary for us to know the full communion, to be one with you, to be as Jesus was, I am always in the bosom of the Father. I always do the will of the Father. The Father loveth me, and as the Father loves me, even so, Jesus said to us, those that were given to him by the Father, and I love you. Help us, Lord, to pursue this 
commandment, this instruction given in the book of Micah, that we may know you in all of your fullness until we see you face to face. I ask this in your name, Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.